the best I can tap into is that there's this kind of like religious architecture in their mind where privilege is sin, privilege is evil. And then they've identified education as the place where it has to be fixed. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته السلام ورحمه الله وبركاته السلام welcome to the safina society podcast it's been a long time since we've done a old school episode so today we have uh, dr shadi myself moin uh, elias and sad joining us and uh, the first thing i want to talk about is i was watching this video uh, it went viral on twitter and I bring it up because it's I have a point to make here. So there was this guy in the middle of a Costco. He got really pissed at somebody not wearing a mask and he just went off on uh on on the guy and he was like I feel threatened and he's just screaming. I don't know if you guys saw the video. But no. this guy he's pretty hardcore just screaming at like this guy who told him to wear a mask. Uh he's just he's just screaming I feel threatened. I feel threatened. It's just this uh um Uh, it, it, so anyways, the reason I bring it up, so I did a little bit of research on this guy, just looking up who this guy is, because it went viral on Twitter uh, all of yesterday, and people were sharing this thing, a couple people sent it to me, and I was like, you know, I was really pissed, I was like, this guy's, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if I saw that, and he said that to me, like, you know, I, I, I hope somebody would knock him out, like, he would, I, I would definitely say something to him, but my point was to say that this poor guy, Actually, then, like, I guess he worked for Allstate or something like that, so they fired him. Oh, my gosh. Cause, he got cause, doxxed. So he got canceled, right, online because people were like, oh, you know, you know, this guy. And so the, Allstate had to give this uh, statement that we don't support, you know, this type of behavior. And so – and the guy was just probably having a bad day, and somebody, you know, said something to him, and he just – He just went off on somebody. And I guess he was like a project manager or something for Allstate. And the poor guy lost his job. They ruined his life. Yo, first of all, let's back up here. Before all of that, Moeen was completely down with trashing this guy. <laughs> no, so, so that's... Did Moeen find his info? Bro, are you the one that doctor's <laughs> acting like this poor guy? And I was like, you should have seen the, the string of messages that he sent before all this. <laughs> no, so so that, th- this is why I wanted to bring it up, because of this sort of culture that's propagated and I, I did the same thing so you know so i was just like you know this guy needs to be taken down I went on his linkedin <laughs> i was like this guy needs to be taken down you know like we can't allow this to continue here's his home address yeah it's like uh remember they did that with the boston bombers on reddit they like they like exposed the wrong person's information Wow. Yeah, that happened. The Boston bombings. Wow. And it was like somebody who was completely unrelated to it. And they were like, oh, we did it. We got him. And they like ruined it. <laughs> and it wasn't even the guy. <laughs> yeah. I bring this up because um, I'd like to also, you know, talk about a, a Sheikh Hamza Yusuf clip that, you know, I had shared with you guys in which he talks about how Islam has become sort of the poster child Uh, religion of the left and you know the left has now used this as you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend 
And I, there is this whole enormous liberal movement uh, that has, you know, Perv- it, it, it's gone. It, it's influenced everybody to the point. And that's why I brought up that cancel video because it's just like even I was like, ah, this guy needs to be canceled. This guy needs to be, you know, put down, fired. And so I'd like to bring this up. You know, why has this happened? And I think it's actually grown uh, over the last two to three years, even more so. Like we, uh, it's been almost five years since we started this podcast. And we were doing season one, and we were talking about this stuff. And it's been a number of years since we've really hardcore talked about it. That's why I wanted to do this episode is why has this grown so much? Now I think it's like all around me and maybe later in this episode, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, some of the, the, the racism uh, training that a bunch of us have re- received in, you know, the corporate world. And, and this has just become ridiculous now. Uh, this whole liberal uh, uh, movement. <clears throat> so uh, open up the floor. Well, to that. well uh, one of the main reasons is that Muslims happen to be victims mostly all around the world, right? They, their Western colonialism, uh, that history and that legacy, Palestine today. So in that, in this new world, or, or the, the virtues of the, the, the left is uh, that you're a victim. That's the highest virtue is to be victimized. So no one's more victimized in a lot of parts of the world than Muslims. However, you have to also note that the left, uh, they have no room for the actual tenets of Islam, right? They have no room for that. They just have room for the political status of certain Muslims. So uh, a Muslim, if, if his expression of his religion uh, outweighs his victimization, then he's not part of it. Yeah. If his victimhood outweighs his expression of religion, then he's definitely, like you said, one of their poster child. And so that's really what you have to look at. So as soon as uh, your victimhood outweighs whatever it is that you believe in, okay, um, you're going to be accepted and you're going to be taken as one of these poster childs. Yeah, that's, a, that's precisely why the, the sine qua non of woke advertisement is a young, attractive hijabi, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because this is, you know, she's a woman, she's expressing her religion visibly, and people are, you know, she's the victim of being attacked for her for her dean, and uh, it's non-threatening. It's not a it's not a it's not a guy with a with a with a grimy beard and turban that's mm-hmm. never going to be in the in the advertising. Yeah, um, it's, that's the like like going or the phrase that Sheikh Hamza used, the poster child, is actually the, the young attractive guy. And of course, uh, so you know, with the intersectionality of victimhoods. Um, what, what does gonna, that mean? What is intersectionality of victims? It's, so it's layering stuff. For example, uh, that's why he said like a woman. So in gender, oh, okay. it's the, the gender that is uh, get, getting the short end of the stick, the discriminated gender or the gender that's not getting her rights uh, as opposed to men. So it's going to be the religion that's the victimized. It's going to be the skin color that tends to be, and we're not denying that these are victims, right? And not denying that they're always, they're not treated unfairly either. But that's what it is. It's going to be the health, for example, um, having some certain health problems that are uh, also disadvantaged in the society. Okay, uh, maybe embarrassing or or shamed. I should say the, 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 is the word I'm looking for. For example, obesity. If if, if that's probably not the right word, but uh, someone who is uh, not skinny, someone who may have an amputation. So 
intersectionality is that it's all these different things coming in one person. We say the idea of insan al-kamil is the one who has all the virtues. He's courageous. He's scholarly. He is. He has haya. He is uh, uh, defends the poor. He gives charity. So the insan kamil is a type of person in our tradition that he gathers all the virtues. Okay, but in the leftist picture, it's someone who gathers all the victimizations. That's the insan kamil. In theory, but in reality. There are certain things that they still will not use as the, you know, go-to poster child. Yeah, one of the things that never goes exactly what Sarah said, one of the things that never can get rid of is attractiveness, right? Because it's just the basic of the marketing. marketing. You really want to have somebody that's attractive in there, which is why um, it, it's usually going to be uh, somebody that's not, uh, doesn't fit some of those categories. <laughs> yeah. Actually, in the cases where you do have uh, somebody who, who doesn't fit those definitions of like what's what's uh, appealing they'll have somebody else speak for that person <laughs> say it again they'll have what they'll have, some, they'll have somebody else speak for that person in terms of in, in representing their victimhood be like oh on behalf of so-and-so because you know we're not going to put them on tv yet. <laughs> and i i honestly think that lookism is one of the biggest ones but it's right. a non-thing like lookism is one there are a lot of non things that are not registered that to me are are you know one of the top I mean, this is this is why one of the one of the the leading voices of wokeism in the political sphere is is uh, Ilhan Omar. Yeah. Right. She's she's a woman. She's black. She's an immigrant. She's hijabi. Like she she cuts across almost the whole spectrum. Yeah. And then they got her dancing with the transgenders and the LGBTs in the parade. Yeah. So you know she's not she's not gay herself, but she's an ally. So close enough. Yeah. You exactly. really can't you really can't come at her because she's a woman. She's black. She's an immigrant. She wears hijab. Forget it. She's, she, she checks off most of the boxes. Yeah, so documentation status is also one of them, too. Yeah. Like undocumented or something like that. By so, the way, yeah. Nubuwa is the absolute contradiction of intersectionality. Because the qualities of Nubuwa are no physical defects, intelligent, no, no, no repugnant illnesses, attractive physically, yeah. uh, more intelligent than anyone else, strong, yeah. You know, bodily integrity, it, it cuts across the board. Male. Because, because he has a function. The yeah. prophet has a function. So someone said, if the prophet was tested more than, if the prophets are tested more than anyone else, but we've never seen a prophet that's blind, that's, ampu- that's an amputee. Well, the answer is that he can be, he's tested with everything that would not stop him from fulfilling his function as a rasul, right? right? Just like you said about the poster child. Yes, they want a poster child, but it's a poster child. That means people have to be able to look at that person. So looks still have to be there to a degree to fulfill the function. So likewise, a prophet has to fulfill the function of certain things like going to war or being attractive as a leader. So all the prophets were also, um, you know, of the, the tribe that was considered elite. But he was from the poorest branch the poorest branch so that he can understand what poverty is and sympathize with the, and understand that, but is always from the elite so that everyone else could follow them. Uh, yeah. So, so one thing that I've noticed is if you take Muslim, the Muslim Ummah within the United States pre nine uh, 11, right? What was it about? It was about Dawah mostly, right? It's yeah. like, how do we bring people to the faith? It was a very conservative type of environment. Now, I, I told Saad this story. I don't know if you guys have heard about the Fort Dix 
uh, incident that took place in South Jersey, right there. So I went to the masjid that those guys, uh, you know, were a part of one of the guys, you know, I don't really remember that much because I was, I was younger, but he was one of the Sunday school teachers. It became a really big thing in our community. Can you tell uh, us what happened? Cause I can't remember that. So there was uh, an incident in which I think it was four guys. Yeah. Four guys. Uh, they had planned or supposedly planned a, you know, uh, an attack on the Fort Dix uh, military base. Oh, right. Okay. And so these guys were first seen, you know, going to the Poconos and they, they went uh, to the shooting ranges. They went to a few other things. And you know, just imagine a, a bunch of young guys, you know, just just doing these types of things. And some, you know, I haven't followed the case, you know, that that closely to tell you what, what really went on deeply. But um, uh, they were all indicted. Right. Uh, and. If I remember correctly, uh, um, there was a, a lot of the accusation was there was a lot of entrapment, and and that's what you know a lot of our belief is is they were entrapped, uh, and and they didn't really do it, but they were indicted and, and and they went to prison, and so ever since that incident, in our community in South Jersey, myself included, uh, and a lot of the brothers that were around us, we've always had this lingering fear about doing anything that would sort of red flag us in any way, whether that's getting a, um, you know, firearms permit, whether that's, uh, you know, even if I'm not, I don't think any of us down here have ever even been paintballing, right? Because it was like, oh, those guys went paintballing, we went to the same community, we're going to get red flagged. And so I know a lot of Muslims, and it's not just our community, a lot of Muslims across America post 9-11 fell into this sort of fear, right, of, we don't want to fall into this mode where all of a sudden we just have FBI coming to our door. I remember even in the MSAs when I was young, when I went to college, you know, a lot of people's parents were just like, oh, don't hang out with the Muslim guys too much. You know, you, you might get in trouble for something. And I'm Dr. Shelley, you probably have remember this as well. Uh, and so what happened from there is there was this fear. And I think slowly what Muslims started to do is they allied with the left, not just because, you know, they, they agreed with the values, but it was more so, hey, if we ally with the left, then we're not going to get red flagged or be in fear of, of being, you know, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, violent aggressor or terrorist or something. Yep. And I've definitely seen it down here. I've seen it. Uh, and, and I'm sure that similar experience has happened to a lot of people. And I'm not sure that was the right strategy, but go ahead. Yeah, well, it's not. And here's here's a funny anecdote from that. One of the one of the uh, the defense attorney for one of the one of the those guys, um, Sahil Muhammad, uh, not only was he not persecuted after having defended him, but he is now a superior court judge. Mm. In so, just because you, I mean, you don't have to go entirely the other direction where you just you become you know obsequious and fearful and that that's the only that's not going to make you safe actually it's yeah. the opposite and yeah if if you want to know who your real allies are then express yourself with wisdom about and with with gentleness about your actual beliefs right and so that you know you can really see that rem remove all the character flaws from the expression right so that the only real uh, um, x factor or a variable in this science experiment is the actual belief, right? So let's say, for example, when we talk about, let's say, intersectionality or victimhood, 
we empathize with all people who have, you know, uh, the, that aren't getting a fair shake in the world. We want people to have a fair shake and live a good life. If you're an amputee, if you're uh, undocumented, all these things, we want people to have a fair shake. At the same time, we don't hold that victimhood is a virtue, nor does it grant you any moral authority. And we're people who are pro-family, okay? We're against racism. We're also against deviation in sexuality. All sex, all pleasure-seeking, all right, sexual pleasure-seeking is forbidden and bad for society in our religion. That's, that's what we believe. It's bad for society. It's bad for you, okay, because your creator told you so, except that which is in marriage. And even within marriage, anal sex is forbidden. And it's bad. It's, for, it's bad. We know it's bad because it's forbidden. So we express ourselves in this very gentle, you know, it's not like going crazy and making fun of people. You just express to remove that variable. So there's only one variable, which is the actual belief itself, right? And let's see now who still stands with us. And it's not going to be like we're going to just repeating this all day, but it is something that is part of our package. And let's see who accepts us and who doesn't. Alex, you had something? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with everything that, that Dr. Shadi just said. I was just going to point out that when it comes to, I mean, there's, there's explanations that you can give to people that without, without being dishonest at all that actually uh, express the beauty of Islam and the fact that we have these rules are actually a good thing and it's not just for some medieval religion or, or pre-modern religion. Like the rules for that Dr. Shadi was saying about sexual interaction. At the end of the day, all that does is protect women, right? Yeah. And 15 years ago, if you said that, people would be like, women have agency and you're a sexist and you're misogynist for even saying that. But fast forward to today and people are coming to terms with the fact that there's a huge, it's a huge problem um, when sex is just for the taking without any commitment, without any, any responsibility. And the victims of that are women. Men are not suffering because of, um, you know, besides some goofballs like Terry Crews, that actor that got felt up at a Hollywood party. Um, I mean, the dude is a former football player. He's like 6'3", all muscle. What and happened he, to him? Some guy, some guy felt him up and he, you know, he felt abused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just killed him. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, men are not the victims. Uh, yeah. It's women that get victimized by this open, open sexual society. Um, and it's like that for every other rule that 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 Islam that Allah proposes. It's good for us, even if we w even if we don't know the rationale for it, right? So we accept it as a covenant, and we don't do it because X, Y, Z reason. We do it because Allah asks us to. But in reality, it's not. It's, the, the rules are not irrational. They're actually beneficial for society. Yeah, Sad? Yeah, the thing I often think about is, you know, is it better for us to present what we believe in? completely accurately and completely genuinely is that not better than saying hey you know like we're allying with certain causes du jour and you know we're going to change our beliefs and our morality according to that but then when they learn what you're actually about they're going to be like you deceived us exactly exactly yeah. that's why i it's not like i want to go pick a fight and have no wisdom and say something that doesn't belong in place i want to say something that is like disclosure right like, I want you to know exactly what I'm about so that you yourself 
don't come and try to invest in, in us and, right. and help us out. And then realize, oh, we actually wish that we never even met you, right? <laughs> right. It's like <laughs> I have both, both my hands are open in front of me. I don't have one hand behind my back hiding what like I really believe. Exactly, yeah. When you find out, it's what? a shock to everyone. In marriage, in, in marriage, you are not allowed to cover up your flaws. So let's say uh, um, uh, someone's going bald, right? So he's going to wear a hat all the time, a kufi. Muslim guy wear a kufi all the time. So when he, if he's going to get married, though, let's say he's like a 40-year-old and he's, going to, and he's going to get married, he actually has to remove his kufi at some point in those discussions, right? Right. So he, we're not saying go and embarrass yourself as a that's our thing. No, uh, like all the time. No, all the time you're allowed to cover it. So when I'm talking to regular Tom, Dick, and Harry, I don't have to go and say we have hudud punishments, right? We, that's not going to come up in a conversation. But if Tom, Dick, and Harry says, hey, we want to help you, right? And I know that he supports X, Y, and Z. At some point, I need to disclose to him what he's getting involved in. Right. right? It's not fair otherwise, right? Likewise, when I'm going to propose, I'm going to have to go without my kufi one day to one of these dinners early on before she's emotionally attached so that she could be objectively saying, no, I don't want, he's too bald. I don't want to marry him, right? So, so all I'm, these... So all these articles we see uh, every once in a while pop up about a guy suing his wife after the wedding night because she took off the makeup for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> that would never happen in Islam. <laughs> They're Muslims. It's always from a wow, Muslim country. That's crazy. That's crazy, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. What I, what I was going to say is that I, I, this, is, this is a good ideal conversation. Like Ideally, this is what we should be doing. The reality is that Muslims are not allying or participating with other groups and then revealing that in fact they disagree what they're doing is just buying hook line and sinker into that group's ideology muslims yeah. are actually they're not they're not surprising them with anything because they're like no we really love gay people right yeah, that's the problem i was saying and the other thing i think that makes it harder for the average person now to present that honestly is that now we're seeing social consequences right like moin was talking about that guy who flipped out at Costco, getting fired, right? Now there's, there's very real consequences to your livelihood. And when people come up against that wall, they're more likely to recoil and be like, I'm going to go with the flow. I'm not going to you know, expose certain aspects of my faith and all this because you know, I, I, I have a family to feed, all these things. So um, I think that's, that's part of it as well. Then, and, and um, a lot of yeah. these guys, by the way, these groups that they want to mobilize for every little thing, let's mobilize, let's destroy. They are the Kharijites of liberalism. Like actual liberalism is a lot more, like classical liberalism is a lot more. It's a whole open. different thing. It's a whole different thing. These guys are the Kharijites. So, I mean, what, what if someone was to say, listen, if you say anything bad about the prophet, peace be upon him you're going to face a consequence. And that consequence may be a permanent consequence. Actually, it is a permanent consequence, right? It's not a consequence that you can go and say, oh, that was not good because there's not going to be a tomorrow for you, right? They say, how could you have that as a law? Then people will not genuinely love the prophet. They're going to be afraid and they're just going to keep it inside of them. You're using force. Hold on a second. You guys are doing the same exact thing. A lot of these people have not been convinced uh, of the need for them to change the way they talk or the way they address, you know, people of color or whatever. They, they're not convinced. You just take, tear down people's lives 
and okay, that's your way of doing it, but don't now come to us and, and, and accuse us of the same thing because you guys are actually far worse than us, right? Far worse in what they take down. Go ahead, Alex. No, go ahead, I mean, this is what I, the, the reason why s- sort of liberal Muslims and, uh, you know, liberal Muslim media has been propped up. Like if you look at, you know, shows like Rami or you look at like Hassan Minhaj, the reason why they're so popular, e- even amongst, you know, good practicing Muslims. I know good practicing normal Muslims that have seen Rami, right? Like people who I wouldn't really consider to be, you know, like, you know, off the path or anything. These are normal people. Uh, And the reason why is because there is this uh, sort of, you know, making these faults of ours, right, mainstream, for example. Like, let's say, uh, you know, the show Rami, and I actually haven't seen it, and I don't plan to, but there is this sort of, if I, you know, from what I know about the show, is it, it normalizes a lot of things that, muslims in the in in america go through right uh and and it makes it open to the world now everybody has sins we all have sins right but we we don't make shows about them but what what these types of things do and why it's appealing to a lot of people is because oh this this makes us like everybody else we're normal we also have you know all these problems and i think that's why these shows are are also becoming a lot more popular by the way just from a uh, a branding standpoint i think he's actually just ruining his brand the more he keeps just talking about masturbation. I mean, he does not stop talking about it. I haven't seen the show. I haven't I seen the show. trailers. Yeah. I haven't seen the show. But that, yeah, that's all I saw. I saw the trailer and I saw some tweet, tweets. The, the small things I kept talking, I seen, he just keeps bringing it up. It's like, you want that? Doesn't his agent have any sense to sell him? Could you stop talking about that? Because even if you're joking, even if you're against something, that becomes your brain. You become associated in the minds of people. In my mind, as an outsider who've never seen the show and only seen advertisements, that's what I remember. It's like, why are you bringing that up a second time, a third time, a fourth time? It's also it's also really corny and passe because this is what uh, Western society was doing in the sixties and seventies, right? Yeah, talking about their transgressive behavior, um, pointing out uh, flaws in society, flaws in their institutions, and trying to normalize all of those things. That was like edgy and punk rock back yeah. when punk rock was edgy. But yeah. it's 2020, man. It's been like 40 it's, it's plus been, years. Get, yeah. get all, you're, you're so corny, man. This is like, this is like, this, it's, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like when there's fad that was happening where Muslims were taking like regular pop music and quote unquote Islamicizing the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're trash, like yeah. musically. Uh, artistically forget yeah. about content yeah. wise yeah. like like objectively you, yeah objectively <laughs> your tr- your music is trash your art is garbage derivative, derivative yep. and it's 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 of no value yeah. and the only reason you're getting any play from it is because you're a muslim and that that that, that that's going to fade away quickly the, and it's the, only the because you're offending an orthodox community exactly right there and was also this is yeah that there was also uh, a guy he's like a one hit wonder from the Hasidic community. Yeah, Mattis Yahoo. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was a non-Hasidic Jew. Uh, then he became a Hasidic Jew. And then he loved to rap and do reggae, whatever. And it was cool because he was a Hasidic Jew that did rap and reggae, right? And he had a, a hit that was like really big. But then he started to, not, he became a non-Hasidic Jew again. He shaved his beard, blah, blah, blah. 
have you seen him? No. Right? Let's see. So, you, well, so the only thing that was unique was that you were you had a value, right? And then you went against it. That's what was unique. But when you fully went against it and you're totally out, it's not unique anymore. Like you have no position in the in the industry. Nobody knows your name anymore. Right? You don't see Dave Chappelle going around saying, you know, like you know, like I'm gonna make you know, crack on, you know, jokes about the Muslim community. It's right. just, it, it, he, he doesn't need, like, this is one thing I've never understood. It, 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 people do it with like businesses as well. It's like, oh, it's a, you know, I'm going to, I want to create a Muslim business. I want to create a Muslim app. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I want to create, you know, a, a Muslim thing. I, I understand, I get why they want to do it. Right. But people, you know, before they didn't do stuff like that. It was like, it wasn't just this identity thing. It's like, oh, I, I need to make a, you know, a, a Muslim thing. It's if you want to be, you know, a comedian and, you know, I don't support it because there's a lot of vulgarity and all those things in terms of the Sharia, you probably shouldn't do it, but whatever, if you want to do it, then just go do it the right way. Right. Like, Hey, listen, honestly, um, <laughs> yeah. one of the most successful comedians, uh, ratings wise, wealth wise, fame wise, he is actually completely halal, Jerry Seinfeld, right? He hardly curses in his stuff. His jokes are pretty much, if you look at it, it's almost like family oriented. You can have a 13 year old kid watching the joke, right? Watching the show. You so, Bill Cosby? No, Robin, uh, Robin Williams. Gary Seinfeld. Was the same, right? <laughs> Robin Gary Williams. Seinfeld is actually pretty vulgar in his stand ups. Oh, really? I didn't watch I think, his stand I just you know, you know what it is? The show is, is like is like a network TV, so he does like those. Well, you know. well, even the show has some things that were pretty, uh, uh, you know, out there oriented. Yeah. But some of his stand-ups, though, what I remember is he makes jokes about everyday things in life. Maybe I don't remember him right, but that's what I remember of it. And I wonder, like, if you're a Muslim comedian, that's an example of a guy who's made a whole career. I've I haven't heard him like really go crazy the way other comedians do. But the thing is that we have to put forth our what we believe in as a positive rather than always defending a negative right Absolutely. so when you look at for example gender it's not just the muslims are against transgender it's not just that it's also why don't we look at gender as an awesome way to organize society and organize human beings i think it's a brilliant way to be honest with you and, and i'm not talking about gender specific gender roles i'm just saying the idea that the creation is made out of men and women hmm. like have, have we haven't really we, we're so busy defending against uh, talking about transgenderism, but we haven't actually put forward the, the brilliance of this way of dividing things. And we already know the conclusion that it's brilliant because it's Allah's creation. Now it's just a matter of putting rational thought to it and explaining it like, you know, logically with you know, certain evidences. It's one of the huge problems in public education or in the, in the Western educational system is that we group kids together by age. Yeah. When that's not a natural way to, to group yeah, students together. Totally. It's by um, gender. It should be by gender with multiple generations. Yeah, exactly. And and the reason that uh, societies last is because multiple generations mingle with each other. So they pass down traditions and they feel like they want to keep up those traditions. And when you separate genders, you you have lesser of a problem of children out of wedlock. And you can even explain that by way of... Um looking at the way companies organize themselves right around like specializations um you're not going to have the lawyer right doing the financials you're not going to have like the the developer right in charge of totally. marketing 
So, you know, we organize ourselves in these ways in all other aspects of society, but it's just this one thing seems to be like a, a very contentious point. Just, just the other day I saw a clip, I sent it to you guys, of a uh, U.S. politician expressing both an anti-imperialist uh, attitude, uh, a, a non-interventionist attitude towards the Muslim world, and challenging the idea that Muslim women are oppressed because of the way that they dress. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this is Donald Trump. Yeah, I know. And if you tell anyone, you're like, oh, who is this... Uh, you know, a uh, cutting edge woke person, right? It's Donald Trump. Donald Trump yeah. said, we don't, why are we in the Middle East? We don't need to be invading those countries. And then yeah. when people say women's rights, he was like, oh yeah, maybe, I guess women are oppressed. They wear that stuff. And yeah. then he said, but I saw an interview, this woman, and she was like, they, they were, the women were saying that that's how they want to dress. And he was like, you know what? And it actually makes sense. Yeah. Probably easier. It's probably easier. You don't have to worry about all this makeup and all this crazy yeah. stuff. He goes, I, I, if I was a woman, why not? Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the president of the United States. And and my favorite part of that was when he goes, uh, uh, "Leave him alone. What the what the hell we get involved for? Right? Yeah, leave him alone." Exactly. So, exactly. I, I'd love for and that to were, be the people possible. were clapping. I know. Yeah. <laughs> In that video. Yeah. And, and you know you know what what it is right. So I'm I'm being very genuine here. It's the fact that he spoke plain English. Mm-hmm. He didn't try hard to pronounce Nikab. He called it just that thing, you know, whap wow. across the face, right? <laughs> he, he just he spoke very plainly, yeah. And he kept it. He kept it at a at like a you know how the New York Times is written at like an eighth grade level or something. He kept it at like a fourth grade level, yeah. And um, didn't get fancy with it, and didn't say you know strategically, yeah. yeah. No, he said, listen, we're going over there to protect their freedom. They don't even want us there. They're happy the way they are, and it affects our freedom. Exactly. Like the guy just made a simple argument for non-U.S. intervention in the Middle East. And you know what this doxing and, and, and what you're talking about, people getting fired from their jobs and canceled and everything. One thing it's sacrificing is any sense of genuineness. Yep. Right? Everybody is plastic. Like I have to measure a thousand, put a thousand screens before I utter a word and you're still going to mess up anyway. Right. So it didn't even benefit you. So everybody is fake, plastic. Nobody can express themselves. Right. Anymore. I'm going to say some, this, the, the views expressed do not represent Safina Society, yeah. uh, Dr. Shadi Moeen, or Saad, or any of our affiliate organizations. Um, they're sold in line. I think that there should be no limits on people's, and we're talking about the United States, right? There should be no limits on people's expression, no matter how bigoted it is. People should feel comfortable saying they shouldn't get fired from their jobs for saying, not just, oh, you can say it, but there's consequences. Shouldn't get fired from their job for being a bigot. If you want to come out here and say you hate Muslims and you think we should all be sent back to the Middle East, even though that's not where most of us are from, that's perfectly fine. And I don't care if you get, I don't even want you to get fired. You should still be able to pay your bills and your kids should still eat. Um, and I think that that's the best way that we're ever going to get a, a cohesive society is if yeah. people are allowed to express themselves no matter how vile. Because eventually, if your expressions are vile, they'll, they'll, they'll be, you know, you'll, you, the, the group will wear you out, right? You'll be ostracized socially. And if your views carry weight, then, you know, we're a democracy, right? So maybe, maybe if the majority of the people agree with you, maybe you're right. I, that's the, our political system. I don't think that there should be any kind of limits on anything that people say short of inciting violence against others. Yeah, and uh, the uh, thing is that eventually the standards are going to catch up with you. Yeah. Right. The list of things you might be innocent now, but that list is going to eventually get you. Yeah, and one day, you know, something that you've said, you know, ten years ago that you thought was totally normal, maybe ten minutes ago, 
is all of a sudden that's on a list. Two weeks later, that's on a list, right? Imposed morality never works. Never works. Yeah. You can't force it. Yeah. The problem also is liberals have, and, and, and the thing is, when you say liberals and conservatives, it's not like there's this like group right? Like you walk down to the store and all the liberals are there, right? <laughs> it's, it's not like that. No, but, just on TV. Well, there is. It's called Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Trader Joe's, bro. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so the problem is that they have done a very good job at politicizing almost anything and everything that you discuss right so even now there's listeners of ours right that listen to this and they're like oh these guys are right-wing maga guys (laughs) it's like because they're about free speech when it's like you know this has nothing to do with being right-wing or left-wing right this is not everything is about you know some politicized you know spectrum right it's it's about real values that can exist you know, outside of this left and right spectrum. Yeah, yeah man. Right we and left don't out. actually even exist anymore. Yeah. No, what is not it, at all. If people are being honest. Mm, they yeah. don't. It's based on opportunism. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, too, is that we have to realize that uh, uh, this concept of being threatened, I don't know, back in, our, back in my day, you, you, you didn't say stuff like that. You didn't publicly expose your the fear. Weakness. Your weakness. It was considered an embarrassment, right? It is. You fought back is. for your rights, right? You fight back for your rights. You don't go and I'm threatened. So in the 90s, let's say, in the 80s maybe, uh, definitely in the 80s, if you got hit and beaten up on the bus at the bus stop, what did your dad do? He took you to karate lessons, right? This is yeah. how many stories in America is like this, right? The kid got picked on, so the dad took him to karate lessons, so people stopped picking on him. Game's it's literally over. the premise of Karate Kid, right? Yeah, exactly. It's the premise of that movie. Now, the kid gets beat up. The entire family, the entire everything, they expand <laughs> this threatened and victim thing, expand it so much, and make it his label, okay, till the, till the kid gets a psychosis. And that's not how to deal with something. And, and then you don't become morally an authority because you're threatened. If you notice it, that's where we're going. Yeah. You know, you're yes, virtuous no. because you're threatened. You deserve special treatment. Well, I mean, why don't, whatever happened to the idea of pick yourself up and change your own situation? Yeah. I have a theory, which is uh, not representative of, you know, the whole disclaimer. Yeah. Um, I think that movies in the 80s, like Karate Kid, yeah. contributed to the society that we have today. Because yeah. at that time, they were still portraying the, the stronger... Uh, more capable, more athletic, more popular kids as the bad guys simply because of their uh, abilities. Oh, that's and true. The, 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 the losers as like the, the, 80s the potential heroes. Yeah. Right? Um, I mean, the Karate Kid is, is a perfect example. Those kids, what, what were they doing? They were just better looking, more popular. Yeah. And actually, that kid Daniel was messing with them. Like, he actually instigated <laughs> a lot of the trouble. <laughs> he got beat up for it, as he should. Yeah. And, and then magically... At the end, he wins, right? Yeah. All right, fine. The kids that grew up on that thought that that was real life realized that I'm not actually going to fight these guys and I'm not going to get good at karate and I'm not going to win and I don't have like a magical uh, Japanese sensei. Yeah. So it's moved on to <laughs> now those people are the same ones that are writing movies in Hollywood. Before it was the nerds that got picked on. They had this <laughs> fantasy world where they got tough and they won and they got the girl. Now the nerds are writing stories where it's 
you shouldn't even have to fight back. Somebody should fight back for you and protect you. Yeah. Right? Hiding You're still a good guy for being a sucker. You're still a good guy for not being good at anything um, and not being athletic and not being strong and not being popular. But other people will come and help you. And the, the popular, strong, able people are the bad guys just because Allah yeah. bless them. It's envy. And it's also your, your game is going to be up the moment that someone actually does help you, right? The moment yeah. you're number one, your game is up because you're not a vic- you're not you know behind anymore. You're not a victim anymore. So I wonder well, what's going to happen. Mean, that's where, what where, I'm curious to see what, where this all nets out in when yeah. when you know the people that are predominantly in the position of victim, right? It, let's say there's a world where everything that they want comes true. Everything happens. They're yeah. no longer the victim. So what do you move on to from there? That's my question. A, a greater a greater a greater type of uh, victimhood. Like what? Like, like the, the, you know, the, primordial, the prime example there, uh, you know, the ideal example of the disabled, um, infirm, multiracial, trans, uh, person of color from uh, a minority religion. Uh, that, that person is, you know, the, the, the uber the law. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and by the way, this, I wrote something about this a long time ago. I've never, I've never posted it anywhere, but there's, there's a real issue when it comes to rights, right? So you have like something like the, human, the, the, the UN's list of human rights, right? The Charter on Human Rights. And it's a list of rights. You have the right to this. People have the right to that. These are the human rights that everybody agrees on. As you start to find more and more rights to add to that, um, because of these new victimhoods and new uh, questions and new issues, it starts to get bloated, right? So you have this bloat that, ha- that goes on. And eventually, some of those rights are going to conflict with others, right? So like the J.K. Rowling thing that's been going on for the last couple of weeks, that is an issue where feminists, and this is a big deal in, in like the woke space, feminists are feeling aggrieved by tr- men who dress like women, right? Yeah the so-called transgendered woman, which is not a woman at all. So they're saying, your, your rights, fine. You be whatever you want, but you're encroaching on our rights by claiming womanhood. They're TERFs. And, yeah, the TERFs. The trans, what is a TERF? What is trans the erasing, trans exclusionary, radical, exclusionary radical feminist? Oh, one at a time, right? one at a time. What is it? Go ahead, son. Trans-exclusionary radical feminist, meaning they basically exclude trans people from the feminist movement. So trans people don't like them. I see. Okay. So, yeah, oh, okay, so that's of, what J.K. Rowling is, basically. Yeah, yes. It's a bunch of guys in makeup and dresses and wigs who hate women because the women are like, you're not really women. You're, yeah. walking around, you're trying to walk into these women's spaces with a dress and a penis. Right. What's really even funnier than, than the J.K. Rowling thing I found is I think Stephen King supported, you know, I think he had a tweet saying, you know, that trans women are not women, Right. Uh, which is true, but you know, a lot of people like God, and then J.K. Rowling was like, "Oh, thank you, you know, my friend Stephen King. He's always supported me." Blah 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 blah. He, you know, I guess got crushed by all the canceling that happened on Twitter. So then he he like reversed his statement, and he was like, "Trans women are women, right?" <laughs> so, which he doesn't believe, but for them, it's good enough, <laughs> right? They just want you to say it. They just want you to say This it. is all it is. They just want you to say it, and then they go, all right, good, we won. Yeah, because yeah, you've assaulted. But we still them. hate you. That's such a game. 
Because you've assaulted them if they if you have if you don't say it. It's like oh, it's yeah. words are violence, man. Yeah, words are violence for them. My question, one one thing I wanted to bring up was, you know, in the beginning, Moyen brought up the uh, the example of that guy and how a lot of people, based on that ten second clip or however long it was, you know, came to various different conclusions, right? And and obviously, this is something you see a lot on social media where you get a very bite sized you know, snippet of some situation where you have no context for and you come to a conclusion and it's often a behavioral conclusion, right? It's often like, oh, this guy must be like that all the time, right? Because of this 10 second clip that I saw, this is a character trait of his that defines him. So I think in that situation, I always wonder, right? Like, you know, uh, for other Muslims, like we make excuses for them, right? Oh, you know, that's not why he did this or I gave him the benefit of the doubt. But a lot of what you see on social media is like absolutely zero benefit of the doubt. It's like, it's like straight to doubt, actually. (laughs) So so it's interesting to me how that doesn't apply anymore in, 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 in our interactions. There's no mercy to other human beings, period. There's no sense of desire. Like you want yourself to be uplifted. There's no sense of your person who you think is inconsiderate, maybe, you know, his, his words are, you know, hurtful. There's no sense that, well, doesn't he also deserve some degree of care in how you treat him, like the way you want to be treated? There's no sense of that. And we got that sense. And if you remember uh, uh, with some certain Muslims who are liberal leaning back in 2015 or 16, whenever we started the podcast, one of the things I was thinking to myself, uh, and I said it here, I was like, they're still Muslims. We still want to guide them to what's true. So I'm just going to bash the idea and I'm not going to trash the person, right? Because that's a teaching that we have in Islam. They don't have a a sense of such a teaching of even the wrongdoer does deserve certain considerations because you don't want to destroy him. You just want to, you want to change him. You want to guide them to what's, you know, you hold is right and not totally destroy them. They don't have any sense of that. It's also, it has a lot to do with the internet as well because the internet is not a good medium for uh for humans to really interact with one another and what happens is when you see a clip because i did this right i I, when i I, as sad was saying you know i you know got really mad at this guy and i was like this guy needs to be shut down etc 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 but, you know, I did a bit of reflecting and, you know, it hit me that it's possible that this guy was just having a bad day, right? His kid was screaming in his ear as he was walking through the aisles and then this guy came up to him and he just like, so it was, you could hear it was like, sounded like some Indian guy, right? It's a small Indian dude just coming up to you all up in your face as your kid screaming to you and he's like, can you, can you put on a mask? Can you put on a mask? And then the guy just like, you know, went off, right? Because he's had a bad day. The point being that where is this video? I want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna send it to you. It ha- it has a lot. He curses a lot throughout the video, and he's just like you know. Uh, I don't actually. I don't. Know, I don't know if he does or not. Yeah, he does. So otherwise, I'd put it on the podcast. You're harassing me. My- I'm not harassing. It's you. overwhelming. You're, you're I coming feel close You're coming close Back to me. It's angry. Threat me again. It's all at your local Costco. So the point being, when you interact with human beings in real life, right, you 
have a sense of decorum that's just it doesn't exist on in online right and so and this happens muslims do this all the time even though we're supposed to give the benefit of the doubt somebody's going to hear alex or me saying something let's say you know earlier in the podcast we we you know we, we said the word fat somebody's going to hear that and say oh the safina society does this podcast doesn't like fat people that's yeah. not the case right but it's everything is just taken out of context and it's all bite-sized and it's kind of what you get is a very, very one dimensional, you know, bite-sized clip of like another human being's emotion. Yeah. That's not how you interact with people. This is a very artificial uh, representation of a, you know, uh, of an interaction that only exists on the internet. It's impossible for it to exist in person. But my question is who, uh, who in society can even survive that level of scrutiny? Yeah. Nobody. 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 If you if you if you take anybody's life, if you take a day out of somebody's life and you slice it up into individual moments, you are gonna be able to find something damning to indict that person with. Nobody is nobody can muster uh uh stand to that much scrutiny. And not only that, it's not only what you did, it's who you are. So even if you said something good. Let's say you said something good about supporting women. Well, you're a man. All right, you said something supporting, uh, you know, some other cause. Well, you're ableist, so it really doesn't make a difference to you. Or whatever. So it's, it's not only just what you did or what you said. It's who you are that can be used against you. By the way, I just want, I'm the one who used the word fat, and I just want to say that that is the appropriate term in, uh, in women's studies. It's, it's a field. It's a subfield in women's studies called fat studies. Uh, I just really? sent a, a, a course description to you guys on our WhatsApp group. Um, it is called fat studies. Academic. It's really it's a, academic term. Yes, that is the correct academic term. I was not. Be, I was not trying to be mean or rude. If you yeah. say overweight studies, well, what's correct weight? It's just fat studies. Fat, wow. you know, and healthy at every weight. My, my, the bigger <laughs> the bigger issue is is uh, is this a science field or a humanities field? It's a humanities field, right? It's not Social science. Biology. Social science. None of it is biology. <laughs> None of this is biology. None of this is rooted in empirical sciences. None of this is even rooted in, 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 in reality or even like classical psychology. This is all madness. Certain majors, there should not be scholarships for. There should not be government, FIFA or whatever it's called. I mean, this is really a, this is what you're going to school for? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interrogation of the way that uh, weight and body image has been uh, used to oppress women and just, you know, whatever. Wow. That's, I mean, you can, make a, but, you can make this field about anything. I can make a field about, you can go down to the, to the minutia, right? This is what yeah. we were saying before. There's, you can get down to the point where I can make a case about how there's oppression for my particular type here yeah. in New Jersey, yeah. right? And I could just like list off a whole bunch of things and I can, and, and by the way, a lot of this is not about, uh, empirical studies or you know about how you feel yeah it's narratives right this is the narrative that's all it is yeah this is the issue so this this starts with second wave feminism um you know the personal becomes political right so you talk about your individual your narratives and your personal life in the political sense yeah and then when you get critical race theory coming out in the 1980s it's all narrative right to the point where now you have people who are awarded phds for dissertations that are a auto, uh, a, a, uh, an auto anthropological examination or something like that. Yeah. Basically, 
they look back at their own life and how that interacts with whatever the issues of, of, of critical theory are, right? And it's an autoethnography. That's the actual character. So they do an autoethnography of themselves, publish that as a PhD because they use the right buzzwords. Yeah. And now they have a, now they have another another uh, now they have another a professor at a at a university, which is that annoying guy from uh, Australia, New Zealand, or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's so, what that's what his PhD was about. Really? That's what his book is about. It's about he he, he basically copied um, <laughs> he copied Franz Fanon's white uh, black skin white masks right, yeah. and uh, turned it into like. Arab skin or Muslim skin white mask or something like that, yeah. and, but did it as an order. Not he didn't even do the real research. Wow. So there was a bunch of these. Uh, there was a group of people. They they wrote like fake papers uh, on like liberal topics, uh, and and they submitted them to various academic journals. And I, I was listening to an interview with one of the guys. I think his name's James Lindsay, and they wrote a paper, and it won an award. Actually, it won the award for, uh, for so it's called Rape Culture and Queer Performativity at Urban Dog Parks. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. Was this there is a so generator great. for that? Those kind of. <laughs> So I mean, you guys are academics. Yeah. So so it's a fake paper. It's it's com it's completely bogus. But the paper is about this woman, uh, you know, Helen Wilson, and it's fictitious. The author is fictitious. The title is just absurd sounding, and it says that you know the abstract is that Wilson spent a hundred hours in three dog parks where she made note of a whole bunch of times when one dog humped another. When the humping was male on male, owners intervened in the overwhelming number of cases. But when the humping was male on female, owners were far less likely to stop it. This, the study suggests, might say something about the owner's internalized homophobia and their willingness to overlook female victims of sexual assault. Wait, there's more. <laughs> God. One of the paper's recommendations. This is why I won an award for the best scholarship in the field for that for that for that year, right? For the 25th anniversary uh, of this journal or 20th anniversary, whatever it was. Um, one of the recommendations was we. They said you can't do this legally. It's there's ethical and legal issues with it, but we should want to train men the way we do dogs with like choke collars, where you yank, it hurts. And then they know that that's a signal to not behave that way. Wow. <laughs> wow. And this, this, this won an award. So ironically, <laughs> uh, ironically, this wow. was published in a journal of some women. So, so I'm assuming that the fact that it was a joke came out later. Yeah. yeah they were really okay. pissed. Wow. They were, they were really pissed at this, you know, because I think these like woke liberal journals, yeah. or whatever they were, they love really it as like a fine piece of academia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. By the way, these, these guys also, going back to fact, they also published in or uh, were accepted for publication in uh, Fat Studies Journal. Uh, no, I think they, they actually got that, that one journal article published. It was about... Um, Is that the name of the journal? Fat, fat bodybuilding. <laughs> so it was like fat bodies are also built up bodies. Just right. like... Weightlifting building it with it a takes different a lot material. of work, and you have to actually <clears throat> try to get bigger. And so they were like, so, "Fat bodybuilding should also be a thing, a competitive." Oh, so thing. what is that? Sumo wrestling, though. Well, sumo, <laughs> sumo wrestling <laughs> would dominate, obviously, yeah. except that they're men. So you know. They so I mean, I feel like that brings up a 
interesting problem, right? Because generally people are conditioned from birth to uh, cede to authority, right? And to trust authority and to go along with authority. When you have authority that is literally just fabricated, right? Uh, the credentials are arbitrary and uh, the, the writing and the thought around it is all just kind of, you know, what you feel. What is the average person supposed to make of uh, placing their trust in authority, right? And, and which authorities to place their trust in? That's an interesting problem for like a, a modern, uh, let's say a young person who's growing up is like, oh, well, I'm being taught this in school. My teachers are, are saying this stuff. Do I risk failing my class if I disagree with them? Stuff like that. Yeah. Well, this is, this is where my, you know, it's been evolving for, for, for some time now, but this is why my position is generally complete, total um, libertarianism. Um, we can't allow Western society to have any kind of formal authoritative structure because that authority is always abused and it's not being used for the betterment of society. It's being abused by the people in power for their own weird goals, which are only getting weirder and weirder. And I don't mean that as it's like, I'm not being funny when I say they're weird, they're weird, right? So it's, it's, it's really, it's already out of control. It's already out of hand. In, in New Jersey, public schools now have to teach um, LGBT, not as like there's a section where you teach about it. It has to be integrated into your coursework, yeah. right? So when you teach history, you have to highlight uh, gay and transgender people in history, um, even if it's made up, even yeah. if it's just like a rumor that they were gay, right? Which, by the way, every, every new biography that gets published about a, a, a historical figure includes some story about how they may have been gay with somebody. Yeah. Right? They even did it to Malcolm X with him whole lot. Wow. You know, uh, Manning Marrow, when he published his, his, uh, his biography, which is like, you know, huge academic, whatever, they made that implication about, about Malcolm. Same. So this is what they do, right? Everybody's gay in the past. So they, they do that. Um, but it's not just in history. When you do literature, you have to include uh, LGBT stories. When you do uh, sociology, you have to talk about LGBT stuff. When you do uh, whatever other subjects, when you do science, you have to talk about how biology is not determinative of your gender. When you do, um, when you do math, math, I'll, I'll send you guys something. There's a, there's a, send it uh, to me, please. There's something <laughs> I, I have to, I have to find it again, but there was something about a math curriculum and they were talking about including concept of social justice in your math teaching. Cause you know, you teach with word problems. And so now some of your word problems have to oh. be inclusive. Oh, like, yeah. by the way, Nobody is talking in this. In this, this, just to show you that, and I'm not complaining about this part of it. So they're going to be like a fi a family with two dads owns three cars, and then like yeah, exactly. Some math problem around that. Exactly. Okay. Oh. <clears throat> so, and I'm not complaining about the thing I'm about to say. You don't find Muslims in the curriculum, right? There's not enforced talking about Muslims in American history in the curriculum. Even though Muslims are in American history, right? Um, forget about just any other subject, even in history, right? And I don't care. You don't have to. It doesn't bother me. But it just goes to show that their agenda is just weirdness, man. It's just transgressive. It's the worst things that you can do. It's the most harmful stuff for children. But why do kids have to think about who people are having sex with? Yeah. Which is all homosexuality is. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me about how this is love. about, you know, love or your feeling. Especially, and especially transgender stuff. This is mainly, mainly, it's not exclusively, 
Um, don't get me wrong, there are people who have other uh, mental illnesses, and that's a fact. It's still in the DSM. You can say that, you know, uh, gender dysphoria is a mental illness still classified, and they don't fight it because it has to be a mental illness so you can get, like, state funding for your treatments. But nevertheless, it's in the DSM um, in the latest edition. There's people with other mental illnesses, but the majority, the majority, especially of male to female transgender people, are just guys with a sexual proclivity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's why they're also, in large part, still con they consider they say I'm a woman, but I'm a I'm a lesbian. Yeah. You don't actually want to be a woman. You still like women. But you like getting dressed up as a woman while you're having sex with women. Why do kids have to be taught about these kind of sexual behaviors? They shouldn't even be taught about normal marriage-based heterosexual behavior. Yeah. Let alone this other nonsense. Well, Disney's so, now making a little cartoon for five-year-olds about this. Yeah. Well, so Disney anyway, has already started this type of stuff, right? Yeah, but like, now it's like for four or five-year-olds. Little nice, funny, fuzzy cartoons with dogs and cats. You know, and stuff. Disney started off with like kids disobeying their parents in every story. And yeah. now this is the next thing that they're seeding into young people, yeah. into children. So, yeah, so the, the long and the short of it, my, my, the upshot of my contention is that we need, to, we need to get government out of people's personal lives. They need to not be dictating to us anything about our morals or our ethics. Who the hell are they? Most of them, I mean, just the people that get elected to government, first of all. But even if they were the best of people, they still have no right. For public schools, for public schools, that's the, you can make that point. But at the same time, so much of this stuff is almost like the mob doing this. For example, when people get fired from their jobs... It's a company, you know, it's a private organization and yeah. they're afraid for their reputation. So they have to sack the person. And there was that lady who called up on, uh, you know, the black jogger or the bird watcher. Okay. She got sacked. I'm not saying she was innocent. She was innocent. Obviously she was guilty, yeah. right? She deserves something. But it, it led to the point that this, you know, silly viral video you said of like just a verbal fight in a supermarket caused a person to so look at the road that it went to but all this is just the mob yeah Even of course if the government is you know kept at bay we have to how do we do with mobs that's the question yeah well but the thing is so this this all has a trickle benefit the mob is is how can i say this politely so these are not actual people with brains right biologically they're humans with brains but they're not actual thinking uh adults these are people who are just following whatever Right? Whatever the trend is, they follow it. And a lot of that is dictated top-down. Um, you know, the universities, for the most part, some people go to private universities, but most people go to public universities. There's public funding for these universities. And there's, there's promotion of these things, right? I mean, the, the cases yeah. that we've been seeing in the Supreme Court. Forced. This is, this is just, this, yeah. this is, a lot of this has to do with an authoritarian, authoritarian top-down structure in yeah. society. If it was all really just uh, private and people could do what they want without consequences from the state, you, you'd have an opportunity to challenge it. And by the way, if people don't want to shop at your business if you don't promote gay stuff, cool. Then go promote gay stuff. That's fine. You can do it as, as in your advertising all you want, and then people have the right not to do it. That's fine. I don't have a problem with the market dictating. Yeah. Um, but I do have a problem when it's imposed and, and, and you can't get around it because it's the law. Yeah. And how about m Muslims who you know, react to this stuff and they're almost getting so nervous that on the, on the flip side, you can't be conservative enough with some Muslims anymore, right? Like on these, uh, on these, on certain topics, they're so uh, bent against the liberal trend 
that I think that they've gotten their own type of, uh, you know, habit that they've fallen into where nobody can be conservative enough by their standard. If you have any sympathy or any even manners towards, you know, one of these quote-unquote symbols of, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, just say something like, oh, I, there's a gay colleague and I worked with them and we're fine. That Boom. Right? Every little thing, they're going to jump on you. So it's actually infected us in a different way. We have yeah. two infections now. Always a reaction. Yeah, a we reaction. have two infections now. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to clear the elephant in the room here because, I mean, if you want to clip it, we could clip it. But we've seen this, you know, when we started our podcast, right, a lot of these folks weren't, you know, that big specific. There were, there were a couple of us calling certain things out, uh, especially on the, the podcast sort of sphere or, or, or on audio clips. And since then, a lot of folks that, you know, we've all been following have moved really towards the right. And like you said, it's become this sort of like right carajite type mentality. And you know who also does this? Daisies. Like the Barelvi Daisies in, in you know in, in India and Pakistan. Now, uh, by the way, I'm not like pro Dio Bandi, so I'm not even going to get into that argument. Okay, but um, but like they do this all the time, right? They will pick one word that somebody said, right, and immediately they're a kafir. Anybody that is they associate with is a kafir, and you know if if you follow them, they're a kafir, and if you don't call them a kafir, you're also a kafir, right? This sort of attitude has also permeated into some of these, you know, uh, defenders of the, the dean in America, right? It's, it's just become, I don't know why it's become this way. And, and I think it's just a reaction to this super lefty, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, vibe that's going across in, in, in scholarship. But it's like you have this weird sort of, you know, uh, uh, so, sort of reaction to the left. And I, I don't think that's balanced. It's just, it's just not healthy. I think what happens is that, as, you know, what you said is that there's always a reaction and the magnitude of the reaction is always dependent upon the initial uh, direction that you trended in. So the harder you go in one direction, the harder somebody's going to pull in another direction. Yep. So the more off center you are, the larger you're going to get that that push from the other side. And that's what we see now. Yeah. And the thing is that uh, one of the things that our Dean gives is not just what to respond to, but what you have to take into consideration too. Uh, there's a manner that you're going to have to talk uh, to people with, you know, especially who are Muslim, even who are not Muslim, because why, why should we only limit like, uh, we don't just limit akhlaq to Muslim manners to like character and, and some compassion to Muslims. You, you have to extend that to non-Muslims too, because First of, of all, there may come a time where that's actually you, uh, uh, you know, somebody who is looking for a faith. There may come a time where they fall into some kind of a situation where they're actually searching for a truth. And we don't want to be the type of person who immediately, because of our experience, their experience with us, they're, oh, forget that, forget Islam, because you know, look what they did, look what they said about me, look what they did to me. Right. So that's one of the reasons why the prophet, peace be upon him, he observed, you know, certain things to keep in mind when he talked to people. And, and these types of norms and morals, the way that you judge them is by the reaction of other Muslims, because there's no set, uh, there's no set rule that will tell you, you know, what is moderation? What is 
compassion? What is, there's no rule for that. So you just have to look around and by orf almost, look around, look at the faces of people when you're expressing yourself, right? Especially the people who have the same belief as you. So we, the, the issue of belief, the variable is removed. Now the only thing left is, you know, attitude. Right. So that's, that's how we judge things. And we as Muslims, we're going to need one another in a lo- this long journey that we're in. So right. you have to actually go together and you have to tolerate errors. Errors. Tolerate. Tolerate means I'm not going to cancel. I'm not going to su- support it, but I'm not going to cancel them either. Right? The bronze of brotherly love is going to be there if there's an error that the person recognizes and fixes, etc. Even if there's uh, an error that the person refuses to fix, okay, I keep a little bit of a distance, but to wage a war and sort of break bonds is going to be something you're going to regret it in the future, right? When you're going all alone and you don't have support. And forget you. You got a family. People have families. People have communities. And those families and communities benefit from being in the larger circle of, uh, of Muslims. Right. And the last thing before I go to Moin is that I remember in the 90s that there were some hardcore people and they would not interact or go to any circle that had any type of secularism in the circle. For example, if people had like shaved beards, no beard, they wouldn't go. If people had soft views towards, let's say, um, music, let's say, right? Uh, they would cut them off completely. If they did certain things that were, were deemed secular, okay, secularists, they would cut them off completely. Well, what you've actually done is, how do you know that that family or that person's kids themselves aren't like, they're not affected by that. And they're good, decent kids who go to the masjid. So you've now deprived the second generation from any mingling. You've now deprived yourself of gatherings that have one, okay, a couple things that I don't like, but a lot of things that are supportive of the deen, that reinforce what I do believe in. So they cut themselves off. And a lot of those kids, they actually ended up you know, going the complete opposite way because they had, they, the Muslims that they could hang around with were like a handful, two, three. So when they had a falling out with them, they went to non-Muslims, right? And we have one, a couple of family like that in our community. The man, um, you know, Rahimahullah, he died. He was so strict that he would not let his kids go hang out with other kids who listened to instrumental nasheeds. Instrumental nasheeds, right? He wouldn't let him go hang out with them. So where do you think the kid went? The kid like went AWOL, okay? And he, he now hangs out with non-Muslims and so he doesn't even pray anymore, right? So that's a problem with extremes. Even if it didn't effect, affect the dad, it totally affected the son. Yeah, I mean, my, my take on this is very basic. Um, and I know that there's, you know, I'm going to be when I have a mental fine. But most people need to just mind their business. For sure. Like, like you can't, you can't, there's people who make it their business to go and find faults and bring them up. And it's the same thing, by the way, with, with, with the clips on, and we're all guilty of it, with the clips on the internet of somebody wilding out in Walmart or something, right? How, how is that any of our business? I mean, I don't think any of us will go on there and get involved and start, you know, talking trash about it and trying to find the person. But the fact that people do that, what do you care? It's two people arguing in a store. How is yeah. that any of your business? If, it's, yeah. if you're watching it for entertainment, it's bad enough. If you're actually getting involved and trying to become a participant in the conflict, man, get, get your life together. Yeah. Like, and, there's, and the same thing for the people that go around. Like, I found this article from 2003 in which uh, Ustad so-and-so uh, said blah, blah, blah. 
clearly he's a diva. Who asked you? Nobody's even <laughs> reading that article until you brought it up. Yeah. Like the article was in a WordPress blog from yeah. 20 years ago. You're an idiot. You're an idiot for caring about it. And you're an idiot for publicizing it. And you really need to do something more constructive with your life. You're not, you're not, you're not forbidding the wrong by digging up stuff that that's basically off the, off the grid. Yeah. I have no patience for those people. And what's happened now is, you know, you take one, it's like what I mentioned earlier, everything is now just like politicized, right? So even us, we're discussing this topic and people are like, oh, you know, now you guys are, you know, supporters of the left because, you know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't, you know, you're not, you're not calling out all of these things. And it's like, oh, so, and it's now just become this chain, right? Oh, uh, Yakin is bad. These guys are bad. These guys are bad. These guys are bad. And let's just cancel everybody, right? Okay. So, you, first of all, you want to cancel anybody. One, where does that leave you, right? Second, you know, who m made you the, the sort of defender of the sunnah, right? And then it's, and third, I'm going to bring it back to the same exact problem that these fired up, you know, daisies have. It's the same exact problem. And the solution is the same. Chill out. <laughs> right? Uh, the solution and, I'll, and I'll give you an actual solution. Realize that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect his deen. Absolutely. So if you want to be involved in that, you have to do it in the manner in which the Prophet did it. You have to observe, you know, certain <coughs> ways about going to talk. You have to observe ways of the heart too. Like the idea of would I, the, asking yourself, would I like to be treated the way I'm about to treat this person? Would I like my flaws exposed and he embarrassed the way I'm about to do this to somebody else. That's a matter of the heart, right? So you, you can be involved in protecting the deen, but it's not your deen. It's Allah's deen. So you're going to be involved in the way in which Allah Ta'ala commands. Right? And you guys remember back in 2015 when I kept saying, like, I'm not out to destroy people. I want to actually bring people to something that I think is good, right? Absolutely. And that's such a, such a critical thing. And I think that, uh, a lot of goodness comes out when people take that attitude. And, it's, you know, even the Prophet took it with non-believers. It, the battle of Uhud itself, when his blood was coming down, and he said, oh, Allah, forgive my people for they know not. Right? It's like, that's how he would want to be. That's how, you know, a person would want to be treated. You want to be treated like, okay, let's go torture them. Let's go punish them. Right? Um, yeah. The only thing I was going to say is that you use the phrase that's used, that they use a lot now. It's calling out, right? Calling yeah. someone out. Well, you know, that used to mean that you were calling someone out to fight them. Like yeah. you would say, you, it's me and you. Like that's what calling someone out really was. And ca calling people out to then like internet shame them. I have no patience for that. I have no respect for that. It's, it's yeah. the stupidest thing in the world. I'm going to tattle on you to yeah. whoever the, 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 the parents are. In this, to in this the hoi polloi at this point. Uh, yeah, right? you see a bunch <laughs> of idiots. They get bullied or whatever. You know, doc mentioned that um what happens is that you have these wars right between these extreme sides and if you think about what happens in a war what gets destroyed everything in the middle gets destroyed in in a war between two sides everything in the middle of the battlefield is yeah. is like a no man's land it's, it gets annihilated that's a good and point. so i think we're seeing that now is that you can't even take a balanced approach because you'll be shunned by both extremes. You'll That's be shunned totally by it. both sides. 
To- totally. And, and the thing is that, uh, that I'm looking at is that a lot of people say and recognize that this crazy, you know, uh, dramatic approach of doing things, it gets attention, right? And that's true. It does get attention, but it only survives in the short term. And in the long term, you're going to regret it because yep. this dean, if you look at this dean, what's passed on is that which is measured in its tone, balanced in its approach, and conservative in a sense, right? If you look at the madhahib that have been that have been transmitted, and the scholars that lasted like decades doing their work, and they never burnt out, they never had like big crashes and all these things. Uh, they were the ones who were slow, steady, measured. And yes, they, they were out uh, attentioned by the wild and, and extreme groups, right? In the Arab world, the jihadi groups, the Islamic governance groups, they completely took the spotlight for decades away from the traditional Ahl-Sunnah, right? In the Arab world. But let's fast forward. It's now 2020. Which ones are giving benefits still to people and which ones have either been completely destroyed by their enemies or that they have changed or people burnt out, right? Or they, they changed. They recognize that they were their error. That's what happened. Even though it took maybe 50 years for that to happen, but it happened, okay? And, it, and you can go back in the time of Imam al-Ghazali, there were people like that. In the times of uh, different imams, Okay, in you go into history, there were these extremes like that. In the time of Abu Hanifa, in the time of Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, there was that. So people going to fight the wrong, but their yeah, their manner is gets attention. Their approach gets attention. The question is, I'm telling, I'm telling you, there's going to be a day where you know you're going to regret that. It's not going to last. The what's going to last is a approach that can suit all. Ages. Remember, we said about mixing ages, right? Mixing temperaments of people. When you mix ages and you mix temperaments, it takes you to a middle. That middle can last decades upon decades upon decades. Absolutely. Uh, and so, before we actually close out, I, I wanted to ask uh, uh, Ilyas to, to, you know, go into a, an important topic that I wanted to talk about. So, the you know case that we had posted in. Uh, our group here, if, if it, yes, you could go through it. I know it's, it's going back to the beginning of the episode, but I think it's important and I wanted you to cover it and, and, and just right, educate so, us and maybe our listeners as so well. So what happened is a couple of weeks ago, there was a decision in a case called Bostock. Bostock was, uh, or Bostock, how you pronounce that, was a case where, the consolidated case where, and if, if Ismail Royer has a really good treatment of it, so if you, if you find the article that he wrote about it, very good. We can probably make it in the show notes or something. Um, that that case was a case in which a gay person and a transgender person both in separate cases were challenging uh employment termination on the basis of discrimination because one was gay a gay man and the other one was a dude uh, who said that he became a woman um in both of those cases the supreme court decided that under the uh civil rights civil rights act of 1964 the uh provision that says you can't discriminate on the basis of sex so, which for all, since 1964, always meant you can't treat a woman different from a man and a man different from a woman. What they've done is they've taken that and they've said, well, that also applies to a gay man because the only reason that you're, dis- that you're treating the gay man, you're discriminating against him because he's 
likes guys. Whereas if a woman uh, had romantic or sexual interest in men, you wouldn't discriminate against her. So you're discriminating against him on the basis of sex. And equally for the transgender guy, you're discriminating against him because he, wear, he wants to wear a dress and makeup, whereas if a woman wanted to wear a dress and makeup, you wouldn't discriminate against her, so you're treating men and women differently. So that is on the basis of sex. That's the logic behind it. We don't, we don't agree with that, but that's the argument. Yeah. So um, the it was particularly galling in the transgender case because uh, the employer was a Christian-based funeral home. So it's a funeral home that uh, was owned by a Christian family that generally um, did business with Christians. And so you were going to have this guy working there who is – uh, by all appearances, a man wearing a dress and makeup, right? And, you know, families are coming in, they're grieving the loss of their loved one. You know, their dad just died, their grandmother just died. And they walk in there and they're mostly, you know, church-going Christians. That's why they're frequent, that's why they're doing business with this particular funeral home. And they're greeted at the door by, by a transvestite. It's, but that was the ruling in that case. They said, nope, that's not the basis of sex. You can't discriminate. The case that came out, the ruling that came out today is in a case called uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe versus uh, Marcy Beru. And it's consolidated with another case called St. James versus, uh, I think it's Beale. Um, those two cases were Catholic school teachers who were fired by their school for different reasons. One of them um, said that she was fired because she was diagnosed with breast cancer and they fired her based on you know, discrimination against disability. And the other one was an older person, and she said that they fired her from the Catholic school because she was because of age discrimination. So in both cases, they were suing for employment discrimination on a protected classes, you know, disability and uh, age. They lost their cases. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the employers, in favor of the Catholic schools. Um, that ruling came out today. And basically what the ruling said is, or the arguments from, from the schools was, these people are considered ministers, right? In addition to teaching math, they were both math teachers. In addition to teaching math, they also lead the students in prayer. They are inculcating our beliefs. Part of their employment contract says the main thing that we're doing here is, is, is inculcating our Catholic beliefs on these people, and we want to promote uh, Catholicism and Christian ethics to the students, and that's part of your job. So they're considered um, ministers, um, for lack of a better term, ministers within the church, right? They're people who have the position of promoting the faith among the faithful. So the Supreme Court today in a 72 ruling, um, the only people dissenting were Sotomayor and Ginsburg, said that, yeah, if, if, it's a, if, if it's church business, it's none of our business who they hire for ministerial capacity. If you're hiring somebody and you're a religious organization, like an actual, not, not a private business like that funeral home that's owned by a religious person, but an actual religious institution, you have the right to hire and fire whoever you want for ministerial jobs. You can't do that necessarily with the janitor or the groundskeeper or somebody like that. But if it's somebody that is supposed to teach the faith or promote the faith or in any way um, support that mission, then yeah, that's not, it's not the government's business who you hire or fire. And it's actually, it's, it's a really good ruling. It's beneficial. And inshallah, it, uh, it holds up long term because um, there's going to be more challenges to this. But inshallah, it'll hold up long term. Okay, okay. Alhamdulillah. Um... So I just wanted to make sure that we had a good summary of that. That's good. Uh, so I think that's pretty much uh, the end of the episode. Do you guys have any final thoughts here? I'm good okay. to go. 
Okay, khair. Inshallah. All right. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa I just read my email. We have our first win. The dog park paper has been accepted. They don't know. We're about to tell them. Gotta read you something. Dear Dr. Helen Wilson, <laughs> I have now closely considered the revisions of your manuscript, Dog Park, and, <laughs> and will recommend its publication in Gender, Place, and Culture. You have done very good work to address the issues your viewers raised and have clarified your arguments. Thank you for your contribution to Gender, Place, and Culture, and I hope to be seeing your manuscript in print. Yours truly. PhD managing editor. <laughs> we have an accepted paper in the number one feminist geography journal. Since approximately June of 2017, I, along with two other concerned academics, Peter Bergoshin and Helen Pluckrose, have been writing intentionally broken academic papers and submitting them to highly respected journals in fields that study gender, race, sexuality, and similar topics. We did this to expose a political corruption that's taken hold of the university. By this point, several of these papers have been accepted in highly respected journals, and one that claims that dog-humping incidents can be taken as evidence of rape culture has been officially honored as excellent scholarship. I'm not going to lie to you. We had a lot of fun with this project. The, the reviewers are worried that we didn't respect the dog's privacy. <laughs> That's the concern. We respected the chapel. <laughs> but don't let that lead you to believe that we're not addressing a serious problem. If you have a few minutes, I'll try to explain. To be clear up front, we think studying topics like gender, race, and sexuality is worthwhile, and getting it right is extremely important. The problem is how these topics are being studied right now. A culture has developed in which only certain conclusions are allowed, like those that make whiteness and masculinity problematic. The fields we're concerned about put social grievances ahead of objective truth. So as a simple summary, we call the problem grievance studies. To test the depth of this problem, my collaborators and I dedicated ourselves to a one to two year secret project targeting top grievance studies journals with an agreement to publicly release our findings, no matter what the outcome. We started officially on August 16th, 2017, and by Thanksgiving, we were in trouble. We had begun ambitiously and mostly stupidly. Our first papers were really only suited to test the hypothesis that we could penetrate their leading journals with poorly researched hoax papers. That wasn't the case, and we were wrong for thinking we might be able to. So by late November, it looked like all we'd accomplish is ruining our reputations. If this doesn't achieve anything, it would actually frighten me. We needed to change our approach, so we walked back from the hoaxing and began to engage with the existing scholarship in these fields more deeply. This led us to learn a lot more about the inner workings of grievance studies. The best I can tap into is that there's this kind of like religious architecture in their mind where privilege is sin, privilege is evil. And then they've identified education as the place where it has to be fixed. So you can come up with these really nasty arguments like well, let's put white kids in chains in the floor at school as an educational opportunity. And if you frame it in terms of overcoming privilege and then you, you frame their 
their resistance, that they won't want this to happen to them, that they would complain about this. If you frame that in terms of, oh, they only complain about that because they're privileged and they can't handle it because their privilege made them weak, then it's right in. Papers started getting in. You have got to be me that this happened. By March, with two papers accepted and one published, it would be fair to say that we had become accepted grievance scholars. By June, it was three, with one having been officially honored by the journal as excellent scholarship. By July, it was five. By August, seven. This shouldn't have been possible. So far, what we're learning is rather astonishing, but the data we've gathered require more analysis to fully comprehend. What appears beyond dispute is that making absurd and horrible ideas sufficiently politically fashionable can get them validated at the highest levels of academic grievance studies. We rewrote a section of Mein Kampf as intersectional feminism, and this journal has accepted it. Social work. This is deeply concerning, because the work of grievance scholars goes on to be taught in classes, to design educational curricula, to be taken up by activists, to influence how media is produced, and to misinform journalists and politicians about the true nature of our cultural realities. No one tolerates this sort of corruption when they find out an industry is funding biased research to make itself look a certain way. The same scrutiny should apply to research when it pushes a political agenda. And we have uncovered enough evidence to suggest that this corruption is pervasive among many disciplines, including women's and gender studies, feminist studies, race studies, sexuality studies, fat studies, queer studies, cultural studies, and sociology. You may be thinking that the work done in these fields must be good, because it seems to continue the noble work of the civil rights movements. While after having spent a year immersed in it and becoming recognized as experts in it, we have to disagree. Grievance Studies does not continue the work of the civil rights movements. It corrupts it, and it trades upon their good names to keep pushing a kind of social snake oil onto a public that keeps getting sicker. Progress is easier without Grievance Studies. My collaborators and I are left-wing academics who can now say with confidence, these people don't speak for us. This is now a plea to all the progressives and minority groups these people claim to speak for. We suggest you spend some time critically engaging with the ideas coming out of these fields and decide for yourself whether they speak for you. 